Good evening once again. This is um, episode number three. Well, actually, it's 102 of uh, Scouts' House 2.0. And then tonight we have two awesome guests on with us tonight. Um, we have um, uh, Mike Goats. Is that how you say your last name, Mike? Believe it or not, it's Gates. Gates, okay. Yeah. Mike Gates, um, he um, is one of the coaches out at Bellman Men's Soccer. And we also have Casey Whitfield, who um, graces our uh, nice big super monitor behind Scouser's house every game to, to give us the rundown of the game. And um, you, Casey, also you played for um, the University of Louisville, is that correct? Yes, I did. So uh, um, I want to... Thank you guys for coming on tonight and um, talking with us because um, we want to educate people about football and especially football in this region because I don't think people realize how special and how many good teams that we have right here in this region. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about um, Bellman University and this men's soccer team and what you actually do over there for yeah. them. Well, I'm uh, I'm the newest addition to the coaching staff. I'm an, I'm one of the assistants. Uh, we're uh, in the midst of our first. Uh, well, we're transitioning uh, to Division One. Uh, we just finished up uh, a great run last year at NCAA Division Two. Made it to the Sweet Sixteen, and you know had quite a year. And so, um, you know. This was supposed to be our inaugural season in D1, and uh, it's uh, COVID has bit us in the butt, but we're uh, we're moving on and we're getting ready. Uh, you know, the NCAA decided to uh, kind of punt the season to the spring, and so you know our our conference did as well. We're going to be a member of the A Sun Conference, and we're. Uh, Know, doing lots of preparation and so uh you know when you have lemons you make lemonade and we're making lots of lemonade you know we're uh training day in and day out and it's been a great great situation to uh you know get our team gelled to we have 11 newcomers this season so you know getting those freshmen and our one transfer acclimated to our system to our culture and, you know, mo most importantly to university life, uh, you know, so it's been great, you know, granted, this is not the normal year and nobody's having a normal experience, but, you know, we're, we're really pleased to, you know, to get this time and kind of really ready the troops for, for battle in the spring. Mm -hmm. And I noticed, um, I, I drive past, um, Bellman on my way to watch um, the Liverpool beat Everton at um, Molly's <laughs> yeah, um, on a regular that, basis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I noticed that um, on right down Newberg Road right there, we, there's soccer facilities right there on the close to yeah. the road. And it looked like pretty good um, A1 facilities for um, yeah. a small university. Yeah, we, we've, we've got a great stadium. Um, you know, pl plenty of space there. Uh, brand new surface that's only about two years old. Uh, you know, with uh, the amount of athletics that has to go on there, of course, we're on a uh, uh, artificial turf, but um, it's a, a great surface. You know, that allows soccer, field hockey, lacrosse, all those sports to to share share that space. But um, yeah, it's 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 a great place to watch a game. There's there's literally not a bad seat in the house. Um, I have been trying to get the uh, been trying to get I guess I guess the uh, everybody to start calling that place Death Valley. Uh, one, we've had such an amazing home win streak there. But two, it is one of the warmest places you'll ever be on earth. You can go out there on like a 40 degree day. If it's sunny, I guarantee you, you can sit in the stands in your shorts and a t-shirt and be comfortable. 
Um, the, really? the, the way the way the way those stands face the sun, it, it it's nice and warm. Now, when we start the season normally in um, September and all, uh, you you might be in for a little bit of a hot affair. But uh, you know, it's it's a great place to watch a game. Um, it's uh, tickets are no problem to get. You can walk up and get tickets. Uh, it's usually uh, I want to say five dollars. I don't. I haven't ever bought a ticket because my son also plays there, and um, so I, you know, I've always been been on the list. But uh, you know, it's it's just it's a great place to 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 watch a game. And you know, we we we've had just such a great amount of success the last few years, and you know, it's a perfect catapult to to move up a division. And, you know, we're really excited. Uh, you know, we're, we're riding off a, a 30 game unbeaten streak. Um, wow. You know, we've got seven returning starters. Oh, wow. Um, so that's not like Abbott then, is it? Because, th- th- you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> we're, you know, we've you know, scored 58 goals last year and 33 of those are returning. Um like I said, you know, we've got we got seven starters and just you know a very very veteran um, group to you know fill in those those few extra spots and um, we've got a few newcomers that have really shown some nice uh, spark already and you know should you know fit in well and um, you know it, you know better days are ahead for us we think and. Um, you know, we're not we're not fearing this transition to D1. And, you know, it, it's just so hard to get a frame of reference during these COVID times because, uh, you know, we didn't get to play this fall. We, we didn't get to play in the spring. So, you know, we, we go off of our, our NCAA birth last year. And then you, know, you back that up uh, last spring and preparing for that, we played an all D1 schedule in our spring, which is, you know, not an official season, but um, we went unbeaten against D1 opponents. So, you know, we really feel like oh, wow. we're, we're, we feel like we're going to give a surprise to, to some of these programs. And, you know, um, you know, I think that's the thing that people don't realize about, uh, about collegiate soccer in the U S uh, you know, you've got your probably top 25, 30 teams in D1 that are probably, you know, the cream of the crop and, you know, just like you look in the premier league and, and, and your big six, but on any given day, anybody can beat anybody. And, you know, I would say that the top 20 teams in D2 would give any D1 team uh, everything they want and more. And I'll I'll just say this, you know, we, uh, we we hosted the eventual national champions last year, uh, University of Charleston, beat them one nil at our place. But I'd say the best player that I saw all last year was a kid that was was on University of Charleston. And um, you know, it's just it's slightly different rules with D two, and and how how that works out. So you know, a lot of these two schools gets a lot of kids that didn't make it through academies in Europe and whatnot. And so, you know, they're, they're top notch players, but the way the eligibility works, they don't quite work well for a D one program. So a lot of these D two programs are loading up with these players. And, um, you know, it's a very, we've played at a very high level and I think, you know, we're going to transition well to D one and, you know, we're, we just we can't wait to get out on the pitch. So I've got, I've got so, a question. Um, I got a question here. I'll jump in on this if you don't mind. And I want to, Casey, yeah. I want to bring this to you first, and then back to you, Mike, because this yeah. is an interesting conversation between yeah. Division Two to Division One in NCAA sports. Yeah, I played Division Two, was recruited Division One just like yeah. you were, Mike. And yeah. the uh, the sport that I played in, you could take the top two people typically on every Division Two team yeah. that was in the top twenty, and they could have played on any Division One team. Exactly. But where it, where it got thinner was once you got past about five, six, seven, eight. Yes. And you know you're on this unbeaten streak. Casey, did you when you played at U of L Division One school? Did you got you all go against D two teams? What did you see with with your squad and how that faced up? So we played. I actually scrimmaged Bellarmine in the off season and would play against them in the spring. 
Uh, that was the only Division Two team that we would ever play, and it was just kind of a friendly match because they were local, and it was it was actually really fun because a bunch of the players I played club soccer with played at Bellarmine, so it was a cool opportunity to play against them. But I think that talent-wise, they had some very strong players, and it's just kind of what the player wants. Some players want to go D1, and they want to have that high intensity. They want to play at that level, and other players who are very talented – don't really want to play at that high of level with that intensity and want to go for more of a D2 school. And that's what I saw more with some of the players on my team that I played with. They were very, very talented players, but they just didn't really want to go to the extreme that is some D1 schools, which it is pretty extreme yes. to play D1. And playing time soccer. can be an issue too, right? Exactly. They want to be able to play more. They don't sure. want to be sitting there. Have to, they want to have more of a presence on the field. So yeah. I think that any D2 team could beat a D1 team. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I look at the Great Lakes Valley Conference that we just came out of and, um, you know, the top three or four teams there that we did battle with, you know, week in, week out, uh, with, with most any team. Uh, you know, I, I do think like when you get into, say, you know, the UFLs and the UKs who are, you know, parentally a top 25, you're, you're talking about a step above. But, um, you know, lat, like I said, in 2019, we went out, we beat University of Evansville. We uh, beat Wright State University. We beat, uh, let's see, we tied Xavier. Uh, I'm trying to think who else that's so long ago, I can't even remember who all we, we faced. But we, we played all D1 competition and, you know, it came out of that spring, uh, you know, undefeated. Uh, we had a couple, we, we did draw Xavier and I can't remember who else we drew. But, um, you know, it it's, there's, that's the thing that's just so amazing. You know, soccer has, has really grown so much and, you know, to see that take off and, you know, that's the thing that makes me really proud about about the city of Louisville is that we have such incredible football soccer here, whether it's, you know, from Louisville City to, you know, racing coming in and to uh, the club scene, to our high school, to the colleges here. I mean, we really are so well represented. And if you are truly a soccer fan, you should not want for getting out to watch just great competition. You know, no so matter, I'm going to put uh, this uh, question to both of you. And um, I don't know what the answer is myself, because it seems like yeah. that in this region, you got Southern Indiana, yeah. you got Louisville, you got yep. the state of Kentucky, you got Southern Ohio, and you, and you got over towards uh, St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Why is this region such a hotbed of, Casey, do you because want to go first? UK, their soccer team, they're no slouches. Yeah. Honestly, I really don't know because you even have up in Cincinnati a lot of really good talent up there, especially at the youth level. I think it's just the community support behind it, and I think it's all the opportunities for soccer at a young age. You've got all kinds of clubs here that kind of develop players, and I think it's just that that has been a huge part of youth sports and – it's one of like the main sports for kids is soccer. Like they don't, they don't have football at a very young age. There is some baseball, but soccer has always been really big at a, at, from starting young. And then there's all, so many great yep. schools that I think it just the development of it from youth to all the way through is what really helps it grow. I don't know, honestly, though. Well, you know, I guess I'll go a little deeper on the history, you know, um, you know, from the time that I that I came up playing, uh, you know, a kid that grew up in in the '80s, um, St. Louis was always the hotbed of soccer, and I think part of that has to do with uh, the immigration path that you've seen to the United States. Mm. And um, you know, some of the some of those early teams, uh, you know, before the U.S. kind of had their heyday and and you know, making a lot of the World Cups. A lot of those players that were on the U.S. team came out of the St. Louis area, and they were all immigrants that had played at, at high levels, 
uh, you know, in, in their home countries and, you know, immigrated here. And um, so, you know, I think I think that is part of it. And, um, you know, at the same time, I'm just like, I, I really don't feel like Louisville has ever been rightfully acknowledged as what a soccer powerhouse we are. Uh, you know, we've had um, Javanon win a couple of national championships. Yep. UofL has consistently done well. Uh, we've done well at the D2 level. Spalding has had great success over the last number of years. Um, you know, you don't have to look very far down the list of um, of Kentucky High School, and it's always St. X and Trinity. And, um, in fact, they're playing right now. I'm so I, – I can't wait to hear what's going on with that game. But – um, you I know, can't believe we, you're missing it. Just yeah, for us. Well, so, well, I'm, here's the thing. We're on it. We're, we're the NCAA has us in a dead period. I, I cannot even go watch a game, regardless of whether I was there to recruit or go. You know anything? We we're uh, not allowed to attend any soccer matches right now, regardless of whether it's club or high school. So we've been in this dead period all year, and it's made recruiting a very, very interesting uh, scenario this year. I know as a former NCAA athlete, I could go down some pretty dark rabbit holes about some of the stuff, Casey, and you could as well. I believe, Mike, you were playing it. Was uh, Brescia NAIA at the time? They, they were. They, they, were. They, they have their different set of rules, so I don't know those. But it's the slightly ones, different. I, but I could get dark. Yeah. It's, it's altogether a little different, but um, you know, it's basically the same premise. So, Casey. So, when when you were growing up, what was the um, what was it that drew you towards playing um, football? Uh, my dad actually played soccer at U of L. He was a goalie for U of L, and so he'd always he was a goalie coach also at Saint X. So, soccer had always been a part of his life. So, when I was two, three years old, they signed me up at Mockingbird Indoor and. I just fell in love with it. I loved the game. I thought it was so much fun. And ever since I was two and three, I'd been playing ever since. So it's something that's always been a part of my life. It's been a part of my family. My mom played um, in a women's league and all my sisters then joined the train and hopped on and soccer mm -hmm. is my family. We like yeah. we have every Sunday, Saturday, soccer is on traveling so much. I mean, I couldn't imagine soccer not being in yeah. my life. Sounds like our family. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> because, you know, uh, um, from what I, I've read on your profile on um, the U of L page, you were kind of no slouch yourself because uh, I see that, um, that you know, you, you're a pretty good striker, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So, um Tell us about it. You know, you know what was it like to to, to play? Um, you know, at U of L, playing soccer in front of everybody. So I actually was very fortunate when I played at U of L. I got to play in three different conferences. So when I first started at U of L, we were in the Big East, and my freshman year, we were Big East regular season champs, which was an incredible team to be a part of. It was the very first time we'd made it to the Sweet Sixteen and the NCAA's, and that was just very special. And then after in the Big East, he went to the American Conference and got to play in that for a year and then went to the ACC. And I actually tore my Achilles um, right before the start of our inaugural season in the ACC and the big opening. Oh, oh man. Stadium. It was two weeks out from preseason and I tore my Achilles and I was told I would never play again. So I was absolutely devastated, but... Obviously, sure. I can't take no for an answer, so I decided that I was going to play again and managed to come back and play a fifth year um, in the ACC in the brand-new, huh. beautiful stadium. But yeah. I was always a forward growing up. I like to score goals. <laughs> I definitely have that goal scorer's mentality, and it's funny because my sister, one of my sisters plays forward, and we play very similar, but... When we're in front of the goal, she's one that's looking to like pass or create for somebody else. And I am the complete opposite, a little bit selfish. And I'm like, how can I score a goal? But I, I love it. 
I miss it so much and hope that maybe one day I had a concussion, so I have not been able to play again because it was a very, very bad concussion. So I'm hoping one day my brain will heal and I can get back on the pitch and score some more goals. So Mike. Yes, sir. Can you top that? Oh, wow. Um, so how did you start in soccer? You know, did you play soccer? Well, did yeah, you just so say, I, I grew up okay, playing, I'm going to start coaching and, my kids. Yeah. Well, no, I grew up playing. Uh, I was lucky that a gentleman that, um, I grew up in Owensboro, Kentucky, uh, right across the street from a nice little park called Moreland park. And, um, one of our neighbors was one of the gentlemen that started the youth soccer league. And, um, he, he got my, my brother and, and I interested in, in playing and, um, it, it took off from there. And it's, you know, it's been a crazy passion that I've, you know, I'm 52 years old now. And so, you know, 42 years of my life have been, um, soccer and, um, my wife and I have been married for about seven years now, and she'll tell you that she's lived through 42 years of soccer in that seven <laughs> years. So, um, you know, we, uh, you know, I have four children. They, they've all played soccer growing up. Uh, you know, my, my son, Drew, is a fifth-year senior at Bellarmine. And, um, you know, Tim Chastanay, our head coach, had uh, – and I've developed a good relationship. Obviously, I'm working with him. But, um, you know, Tim wanted me to come on staff for the last few years. And I told Tim that, um, you know, this isn't my decision. This is Drew's decision. And, you know, how many how many guys uh, want their dad at college? And, um, you know, I, I've been very close with that team over the years. I've I've been fortunate to coach a number of the players that have been there and the guys that just graduated from there. And, you know, they would be around here at our house and like, Hey coach, come on. We need you to, I was like, Hey, talk drew into it. And I'm there. And I just said, let me ask you all this question. How many of you all want your dad at Bellarmine? And none of them said they wanted their dad there. And I said, so you got to respect Drew. And then, um, about a year or so ago, um, Drew, a very good friend of mine, Greg Vincini, I call him the uh, John Wooden of Catholic School Soccer in Louisville. He's won about seven or eight city championships. Drew and I had gone out to watch him. Drew played for him at St. Albert over the years. They won four straight city championships. And um, out to celebrate after his most recent victory and – um, he's like, Mike, when, when are you going to get back into coaching? And I was like, you know, I retired from coaching when Drew went to college. I decided I'd rather watch my kid play than, than coach somebody else's. And um, we were sitting there talking about it, and Drew goes, Dad, you can coach my last year. And I was like, well, thanks, Drew. It only took me getting uh, leukemia for you and nearly <laughs> dying for you to, to finally let me coach again. But um, it's, it's been great into coaching and um you know it's just you know I, I love the game i want to teach people why i love the game and i believe the game has so much to teach us about life and you know that's that's why i'm into coaching because i i think yeah. so much of what you go through on the goes exactly with what you can do with life and you've got you've got to adapt and overcome and roll with it and you know, the best soccer players are the best thinkers, and I, I feel the same thing about life. Yeah. So what, but you, what you don't know, Mike, is that um, this last year you, you've become um, some kind of a role model for me. Well, thank you. Because as you just alluded to, that you have gone through one hell of a year or yeah. two. Okay? Yeah. Okay. And um, I know that you've been ill. A lot of it, yes. and yep. you've come out the other side. You're yep. stronger than ever, and I can't explain what it, it feels like to see you with your determination and coming out the other side. So, you know, I hope you're on a, a full road to recovery, and um, you know, well, 
It's, it, you know, I, I look at it like I look at life, you know, it, it, it's never over. And um, I, I look at it like, like a book and we're, we're going to a new chapter and um, leukemia is something that, that I'm going to have for the rest of my life, but I'm so blessed to live in the time that I live because, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, somebody was diagnosed with leukemia, they were maybe given five years. And, you know, we're starting to see people get, um, I think right now, I think some of the longest survivors are, are nearing 20 years. And, um, you know, we've gone so far even past what chemotherapy used to be. Now, now we're doing all these biologics and immunotherapies. And, you have such a low incidence of side effects and, you know, it really helps the quality of your life. And, um, I, I have my rough days and, um, you know, I'm not going to lie. There, there are days that, you know, we're right now, we're basically training Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. We do our conditioning on Tuesday, Thursdays. Um, they're, there's a lot of days that I come out of training on a Monday or when, and I'm, I'm on the couch the next day, but, uh, you know, I'm also somebody that'll tell you, and I, I don't, there, there's a lot of reasons, but more good has come out of my diagnosis than bad. And, um, one, it's, it's recentered our family. Um, it's, it's reconnected me with so many friends and family out there and all people like you all have been so great for me that that I it's really buoyed me and um, you think that uh, mentality doesn't play a role uh, my doctor will sit here and tell you that it does and um, you know it's just like I said I, I feel fortunate to be where I am and um, I you know one of the things that I wrote down when when I was diagnosed, you kind of make that bucket list of things you want to do. And one of those was coach soccer again. And, and here I am. So That's great. Man, you're an inspiration to me, man. I, you, you really are. Thank and, uh, you know, I'm, um, I'm lucky to have you as a friend, buddy. Well, thank you. I, I'm lucky to have you. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad to be here with you guys tonight. And it's just, it's, uh, I, I I, I can't imagine that we're in a time where we're sitting here having a podcast about soccer in Louisville. I mean, it's just, okay. it's come well, so well, far. Yeah. Well, let's take it one step further. Who watched yeah. the, the game on Saturday night? I was there. I was there. Casey? I watched it. Okay. So let's uh, break down that performance on Saturday night. What do you think? Well, I'll I'll jump in. I think yeah, uh, I'll jump in some of the things that I was lucky enough to Lance invite me on Soccer City Radio and Casey happened to be on there. And one of the things that she and I both agreed on uh, early was that, you know, scoring that first goal was going to be key. Um, if you look at the stats, Louisville City scores about 65, 70 percent of their goals in the first 40 to 45 minutes. And then they kind of just wear you down with the way they move the ball around. Luckily, we got that goal, but we got that goal that it mattered because Ben was able to make a great save on, on the pen. And mm -hmm. then I, the way that we scored that goal with with Hop over on the left is kind of our typical overload left. Typically, it's Ombi that runs down the right side, creates a channel. But I thought what was interesting, Casey, I want to get your take on this specifically because your keys to the game touched on some stuff like this, is that what really got that goal for Cam was the move that Ombi made coming into the slot and opening out the outside part of the and he could ghost into that back and we don't see that move very often so that was clearly something they had worked on it's what i thought yeah. and i don't think ombi's got enough credit for that run because that goal would not have happened if ombi doesn't make that run so what happened exactly. was 100%. he was out on the wing ombi makes a dive and a run inside pulling that outside back with him and pulling that center the center back with him as well which allows cam to kind of sneak off of him and peel in the back post unmarked so if Ombi doesn't make that hard cutting run like he's trying to get the ball, Cam's not open and that goal does not happen. So yeah, exactly. that goal happened because of Brian Ombi's run. Yeah. Coach, what did you see? Well, I the same thing. And I, I, you know, you, 
as you when you began your your comments there, you're like, you know, usually, you know, the first, you know, 30, 40 minutes were really at it. And it was like, really, I was kind of um, surprised that I kind of felt like the game started off a little bit on our heels. And like a couple of times, I'm just like, Ombi needs to be smoking these guys down the right side. And it's just like, okay, well, he he's clearly got the space where he can make it work. And then he was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to touch this back. I'm going to touch it square or whatever. And I'm just like, wow, man, he's like got so much space. And I don't know whether, you know, the scouting report was that their left back was just super speedy or what, but I mean, you know, we ended up working around it, but it was just like, I was really, I felt like, I don't know, like I said, I, I'd love to know what, what coaches, uh, points were in in that match because I I felt like we kind of sat back on our heels a little bit to begin with and it just took a little while for us to bring it to the game but um it was you know it was it was a great game and you know we finally kind of started playing our own brand of 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 soccer again but uh I you know that first 20-30 minutes I was just like we're we're uh I don't I, I don't know what we're looking to St. Louis to bring to it, but that's just, that's my take on it. <laughs> but, you know, from our, from our perspective behind the goal, um, the way that um, the cross came over from um, Brian Holtenow and um, it was um, um, taken down so well by Cam and finished so well by Cam. Cam, you know, he he just reminds me um, so much of a um, Dave and Rush or a um, Gary Lineker, you know, just poaching in there on the back post yeah. and um, able to finish. You know, if you if you look at the videos, you know, really Cam didn't even look; he just knew where to hit the ball. It, you it, know? it was like it was like right to him. Yeah, it was great. You know, so um, you know that was. Uh, Great to see from our point of view because it was right there in front of us. Uh, and the other thing that uh, that stuck out in my mind on um, Saturday was the um, the goal line clearance from Oscar. Huh. <laughs> because uh, you don't realize how close they came to scoring, um, and it, it was literally inches off the line. You know, because yeah. you know, Ben kind of spilled the ball out and. You know, and uh, Oscar was just Johnny on the spot to clean the lines. That's everything you expect from Oscar, though, wouldn't you? Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was so close. I mean, we're standing there yeah. in scouts. That's what, we're normally trying to like suck the ball in, right? So we're like yeah. this one, we were like blowing everything out of the way. Out of there. You know, get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to something um, that I was thinking about today, and it's because I'm looking forward to the next game just a little bit. But I'm not going to jump the ship on this, but. A year and a half ago, we traded Lucky M. Quesana, Lucky M. Quesana for Antoine Hopado. Yeah. Antoine has seven assists this year. Lucky has zero. Now, Lucky has four goals and Antoine has one, but that goal was clearly an Antoine Hopado, like feeling the game and watching it kind of move where Lucky is more of a back post runner himself. He, he loved that back post run. So that goal would have never happened. And to the foresight to have that, to make that trade last year, when I was like, why are we getting rid of Lucky? We love Lucky. We like seeing him make those runs. Yeah. Uh, you know, tactically, what do you think that, you know, with you, you two here on our guests, what do you all see differently from, from those two players? Personally, I love the way Open O plays. I love his creativity. I love the passion that he has when he plays. And so I think that he fits our style a little bit more, being able to be more creative out on the wings, being able to not be afraid to have the ball at his foot and his speed as well. So I've always loved watching him play. I think that he adds a whole different level to the offense and has really started to kind of gel with them. The cross that he had was beautiful on the goal and he just kind of makes things happen. When he has the ball, he makes things happen up there. I agree. I I think you're looking at, um, you know, every coach has different things that they love about players and different things they look for. But, you know, with him, I think you're looking at bringing more of uh, more of of a dimensionality to it. And and, you know, like you said, he's got 
what, I, how many assists do you say he's had this seven, season? He's got seven assists this year. Seven assists. And so, I mean, that in itself is like a, a, a totally different dimension. And, um, you know, you, you kind of want – I, as a coach, always want to find people that you can bring on to the field that are going to make everybody else around them better. And, you know, clearly that's kind of what, what he's doing there. And, um, you know, that's, that's a great recipe for success. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, I think that's going to bode well for us going into the next round because, um, you know, so well against, uh, Pittsburgh and we played so well against, um, St. Louis, uh, now, Come Saturday, we're facing um, the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So, um, what do you think on uh, the game coming up on Saturday, and how is um, you know that we're on such a high going to impact that game? Well, you, you know, I can, I can. I'm a stats nerd, as you all hear. Anytime you hear me on them, typically be yeah. slinging some stats out. Um, Louisville State this year is averaging 1.85 goals uh, a game at home. I think it was 1.79 coming into this game, um, the last one, moved to 1.85. And when you look at Tampa, they score about 0.5 on the road. Yeah. So, but here's the interesting thing about Tampa when you look at just pure, purely from stats, they score about 60% of their goals in the last 30 minutes. Louisville City scores 70% of their goals in the first 50 minutes. Yeah. So if Louisville City doesn't get up early, I think here again, we're kind of looking at a little bit of a Pittsburgh thing with not as quite as much Bob Lilly influence. If Louisville doesn't get up early, I think we're going to have a challenge. But as as you all know, that played the game and us that watch the game, if you're up early, you don't need to score late. So the stats can be a little bit deceiving there. Well, there, there's a lot that goes into that, I think, from from a mentality and emotional standpoint, too. Um, you know, that, that was the thing that I was really surprised with last Saturday that, that we didn't take it to them a little more early on because I felt like clearly the opportunities were there. And, um, you know, like I said, for whatever reason, I think coach had them sitting back a little, but, um, yeah, I think anytime that you can go to it and, you know, at, at Bellarmine, we've always played, um, you know, a high energy, high press, uh, high intensity. And, you know, one of the things we train on all the time is, um, you know, the amount of time that we take in, in conversion. You know, if you lose the ball, how we're, we're counting how fast are you back on that ball. And so, you know, when you can go out and, and uh, hit that, I, you know, and, and shut them down, and I, I think you do get that mentality uh, advantage. I kind of agree with you there. However, I do think that last game, it wasn't our overall best performance. And I no. do think that um, we have to do a better job coming up with our possession because we yes. kind of set in a little bit too much. And I think yeah. that allowed St. Louis to attack and get those chances. I mean, they put two in the back of the net called offside, yeah. but we cannot allow that to happen against Tampa Bay because they're a much more technical team. And they have a lot of talent, and they're going to go at you for the full 90. As you all said, yep. most of their goals come in the second half, and it's from subs off the bench. So they have players that have a lot of talent on the bench. They're going to bring those players on, and they're going to run at you for a full 90 minutes. So we have to be the ones that are the aggressors. We have to be the ones that are high-pressing. We have to be the ones that are keeping the possession and wearing them down instead of vice versa. Yep. Agree. And the one thing I really hope for Saturday, and I usually I don't, I don't really um, hope, as you know, we're standing out there. But coming Saturday, I hope it's freezing cold, and I hope it's raining, because yeah. these guys uh, coming up from um, Tampa Bay, where it's nice and sunny and warm, the last thing they want to do is um, play in a stadium that's cold and wet. Uh, let's see, I'm looking at this forecast here, Scouse. It's uh, high of 60 Saturday, low of 55. So hopefully that's a cold 60 or 55 to them. Yeah, but the other thing is, do is uh, Scouse's house on the Coopers, but we're going to scare the crap out of them. 
Good. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. You know, we had the Luligans that were over in our section, and uh, I was surprised. They almost had them, like, cordoned off like sheep or something. <laughs> and it was interesting. And I know a number of them over there, and I didn't speak to a single one of them. Yeah. It's kind of like we talked about on the radio show that morning. I mean, you know, all the chatter was really nice beforehand on yeah. Facebook Messenger and everything. And then once the ball drops, I don't even know who you no. are. No. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk after but the I, 95th minute, but they didn't really want to talk after the 95th minute. So, oh, well. No. Yeah, but I'm going to miss those guys next year. You yeah. know, it, uh, it's, it's sad that they're not going to be here. But, um, hey, it's very sad. we're winning. You guys are not. So, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of other things than, than the success of that club went into that decision. And um, we we had a uh, one of our players that graduated last year, Tomas Bernardo, had a trial with them that went really well. Uh, Anthony Poulos was still the, the coach there, and Anthony was very high on him and um, said Anthony was going to invite him to, to preseason and – Next thing you know, it's Trichu in there. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's just really sad to see see that come out. But you know, I know that community's got an MLS team coming, and um, you know they'll coalesce around that. And um, some just of the hope they play better than Cincinnati. Yeah, and I think some of the I think some of the people that were involved with St. Louis FC are involved in that, and. Um, Heck, if you just draw the kids out of that dang community, I think you could have a dang good team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, I hope they play better than Cincinnati. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Cincinnati wasn't quite ready for that that stretch. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out for them. Yeah. So, um, moving on just a little bit. And um, I hate to look down the road too far. I remember seeing an article today, it was, I think it was in the Courier Journal, that was um, putting into question if uh, we get through this round and Phoenix win their tie, the possibility of us getting final back here in Louisville. Um, so what are your feelings on that? Because uh, the, I think the, um, the article was saying that Phoenix were um, they had that issue with one of the, their players called another player. Yep. So um, I'm hoping that that the USLC um, some kind of sense and uh, bring the final game right here to Louisville. Um. So last year, um, the reason I believe that the we were able to host the game was because they didn't want an empty stadium at some other place. If you're selling an ESPN plus package and you've got a Monday night game and there's 200 people there, that's hard to really justify. So I'm taking a little bit different look at this. Yeah. What would be their alibi for this? Because the USL has not made a statement of how they, they're sanctioning points. We heard Scott Stewart recently talk about it on, I think he was on Soccer City Radio, what, two weeks ago, Casey? Is that right? Yes. Touched mm-hmm. on it just a little bit. And he gave the you know, they're addressing it, but the points reduction hasn't happened, and I don't think they'll go back and change that. Uh, that doesn't seem to make sense. I think the only play is if ESPN wants to make sure that there's a full stadium when they're the ones selling a package, as opposed to we're selling you a package for $5. The people locally don't even want to go to the game, so why should you buy it from us? I think that's the only way anything like that can happen. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, if we get through this round, that the game will be uh, played right here in Louisville, so you know we can keep the uh, the streak going for yeah. the final right here in Louisville. Well, that's something in my heart has just told me that, and I'm just like we we've built such a beautiful facility, and what what a great display for USL to show a franchise that is prospering under it and has built such a magnificent stadium and why why not put that on full display and especially in a year like this where uh you know who who knows what the numbers are going to be by time the final comes around but you know hopefully that we can hold the same and 
you know, we can, we can put what we can put in there. And, um, I, I just, I don't know why you wouldn't want to put your, your best face forward. I a hundred percent agree. Why wouldn't you want to show off that stadium and show off how well they've done with having fans and being able to yep. have a, you know, decent crowd there because we yes. have been able to, and you don't want to watch a game with an empty stadium. You want the fan noise. You want the environment. Yep. So by ESPN, it's a no brainer with where I would choose. So with the NWSL, the league just finished up their fall series this past weekend on the 17th, where they crowned their winner. And this year it was, um, why am I just blanking? Portland Thorns. They were the winner of the uh, fall series. And so after they've announced that, they now are looking at the trade waiver window, which will end on the 22nd. And yeah. then they're going to open up the um, lists of the players that are saved. So the protected lists are due by November 4th from the team. So they can now save 11, which is kind of a big, a big deal because that means all the starters can be saved. Now, whether the teams will save all their starters, who knows? But they are all saved by then. Then the lists are released and made public on November 5th. So that's when Coach Holly will get the list of the players that he can kind of choose and who he can't choose with the expansion draft happening on the 12th. So, but before that, the Racing Louisville is having an open tryout where players could sign up. It's kind of like an open training session. And I think you uh -huh. have such an overwhelming, awesome response from it that they have expanded it a little bit. But I think that's going to be a great way to kind of see some of the talent that isn't in the NWSL yet that hasn't been discovered, you know, that we can kind of find and build this team around because I think that a lot of the players that are on the U.S. national team or are the big names, they're going to be saved. So we're going to have to build a team from the bottom yeah. up, and I kind of, I kind of like that. I kind of like not having the big names. And I do too, actually. I've hey, always look. said hard work be beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I think we're going, Coach Holly and them are going to build a team that's going to work hard and going to get business done. Well, you know, yeah. we we've we've proven it already on the men's side, yes. and I, I think we're going to take that same mentality. We know it works, and I, like I, I, I can't believe that we're here. I mean, yeah. it just it, it blows my mind that we're we're going to have men's and women's professional sports in Louisville. I mean, it's amazing. Um, so, what do you see happening as um, part of the the NWSL draft? I'm, I'm I'm leaning towards and liking what you're saying, Casey, about you know instead of um, you know, picking the apples off the floor, we're, we're going up. <laughs> Hello? Don't edit that out. So, uh, I think uh, Kenny's lost power at his house. Oh, okay. Or he's lost uh, the internet at his house. So, it's just us three. So, um, I'm the lucky guy to get to talk to you guys. So, what I want to talk about is the NWSL. I have never really watched a professional women's game. So I'm kind of new at this. And I know that um, we've just been talking about the, um, the NWSL draft that's coming up. So can you guys walk me through me being, again, a stupid guy that knows nothing You're about not. Tell me what's going on with this draft because it, it, the whole draft concept to me is stupid. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so I think that the draft allows the coaches to kind of pick some players. So it allows the talent to be seen out. You all have the college draft. So it's a lot like the other clubs or the other sports. The players get selected. Um, the MLS has a draft just like so the NWSL have a draft. So that college draft will come at the, I think it's usually around January or so when the college draft happens. Um, so that'll be another opportunity for them to pick players. But this expansion draft allows a team to kind of already be set up with some players who have experience in the NWSL. And you're not building a team of 
rookies who've never played, who don't know anything about it. You do have the ability to add on those rookies and give people their starts, which I think is what's going to kind of be a basis for racing. They're going to have a lot of players that are new and fresh, which I like a lot. But you mm -hmm. need some players that have experience, that know the league, that have been in it, and kind of know the ropes. So I think that this expansion draft allows teams to kind of pick up those players and gain experience with being a brand new club. Yeah. So how does it, how does it work? You know, because I know um, I saw something on uh, the internet where there's some dates coming up. What's significant about all these dates that are coming up? So with the dates, the um, protected list. So again, each club gets to protect 11 players, which it might be their 11 starters, or it could be, you know, some players from the bench. And those are the players that must stay on their team. They cannot be traded or anything like that. The list gets distributed and made public on the 5th. So that will be when Coach Holly can kind of start looking at those players and figuring out who are on his list because he's already scouted players. So who's on his yeah. list of players he's already scouted that he can pick up and add to the team. And then on the 12th is when the expansion expansion draft will happen. And that's where they'll get to kind of negotiate with the clubs and pick up those players that Coach Holly has scouted and that he wants to take from those teams. Cool. So I think and tell me if I'm wrong, that when um, Coach O'Connor first came to Louisville, he pretty did a damn good job of picking a team that has done us well proud. So with him and Coach Holly and the, um, the front office staff that they've got right there, um, what are you expecting to come out of this draft, you know, they're not going to pick any slouches, I don't think. And um, I guess they're not going to have first pick of all of the best players, but maybe some of the new up-and-coming players and giving them a chance. I think that it's going to be a lot of players that maybe haven't had their big chance yet. It's going to be those players that are workhorses, that are willing to put in the work, that are willing to do the little things, you know, haven't had their big shot but they're going to be the ones that will meet the style that we want to play that'll you know like i said make the effort and want to help grow this club because like i said most of the big name players will be saved and i kind of don't want a lot of big name players because i'd i'd much rather have a team that's going to work hard and it's going to you know contribute to the team and contribute to the community than a player that is more concerned about sponsorships and things like that personally not that they are or anything, but I kind of like the perspective of not having those big names and kind of building the team like we did with Lou City and kind of having our success that way. Yeah. And so, Mike, um, yeah. feel about that process? Well, you know, every coach has different things that they fancy about, about a, a player. And um, even amongst our staff, we have different things that we like about players. We have different players that we like for different reasons. And, and you know, I think Coach Holly is going to be the same way. Uh, you know, for instance, I mean, as we were having this conversation, I, I immediately started thinking about everybody that laughed at me as an Everton fan over James or Rodriguez. He's washed up. I'm like, just because a guy is out of favor, just because a guy might be out of form doesn't mean they're still not a good player. And when you get into the mentality and having an opportunity and having somebody that believes in you, that's, that's where the magic happens. And that's why we're top of the table. And I think the same thing happens here. And it's just like your ability to build a team and your ability to build belief in your system and your culture are just immeasurable in in, in building a, a club. Yeah. I agree. Well, you know, I, I always use the example of um, just a few years ago with Leicester City. Yes, they had exactly. A they bought in. They had a um, a team of bargain basement players. Guess what? They won the Premier League. Yes. 
yeah. Everybody, Liverpool included. Yes, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, I don't care where the, the players come from. And actually, you know, I believe I'm going to say this. Casey, you let this get out and I'm <laughs> friends. But, you know, when I think the best thing that ever happened to Chelsea was getting the transfer ban. Mm-hmm. Forced the team to go get the pick the apples off the tree and give them a chance in the first team. Hundred percent last year. Yes, hundred percent agree with that. You got to give somebody a chance. You know, and I just love teams that that, that do that. They they want to give people a chance and see what they can do. I completely agree with you, and I think that there is so much undiscovered talent out there or kids that haven't been picked up or haven't had their shot, that this could be their big chance and having the open tryouts, having, you know, the, they might not play on the team they're at right now, but having the ability to go to an, an expansion draft and be picked onto a new team gives them that chance to show who they are. And, you know, have like um, Mike, like you said, somebody that believes in them and that has instills this passion that they have back in the game. What more yeah. could you want? No, it's exactly. We, we've got such a good culture here, and I can't imagine that the culture at Loose City is not going to spill over into to the new franchise. And, um, you know, the sky's the limit for us, I really think. I mean, it just – there's – we're such a huge country, and women's sports are so strong here, and soccer is particularly strong. I think we've got a great track record. I mean, there are so many people out there. I, I can't wait to see what we put on the field. I think that product is going to be just uh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in um, Coach O'Connor and Coach Holly, you know, I, I trust those guys. Yes. Co- you know, Coach O'Connor's done it before with Louisville City, and, and yes. look what he's done. And I don't see um, any reason why it should be different going forward into the NWSL. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine otherwise. Yeah, yeah. So, um, if you guys had to try and encourage young kids to get into the game, what would your advice to them be to get them into the game? Well, I'll answer first. Sorry, Casey. Go for it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I it's funny. Uh, last week, I had to give a lecture to a uh, – an intro to coaching class, and um, I talked. I talked about this very thing, and so like I first got into coaching because um, I love the game, and then I figured out that I've got to teach the love of the game, and then I've evolved to the where I want to, the game to be a transformational thing for somebody's life, and so you know with with young kids. I think you've you've got to make it fun. You've got to make it um, low risk. You've got to make it high reward, and you've got to to build them. And you know, going through player development, and all that that'll all sort out itself. But um, you know, it, it's a lot of work. So you, you know, you make a fun atmosphere. You make uh, you, you make some reward out there. And I'm not talking about everybody gets a medal. But, um, you know, you build on what strengths a kid has and, and you go from there. And so, you know, that's that's where I approach the game. And that's that's why I still continue to to coach the game, you know, all these years later. Mm-hmm. Casey, do you coach now? I used to. I don't do as much anymore because my job is very time consuming. I can't imagine uh, coaching on top of your job. So um, I have not been doing as much, but my sisters both coach. Um, so my dad was a coach. I have coached in the past. So I've been there, done that a little bit. But I think, you know, Mike, you're spot on in saying that you have to instill the love of the game in the kids. Yep. You're not going to be able to get somebody to like soccer by making them run drills over and over and over again. Yep. It's never going to happen. So you have to teach them the love, show them what soccer can do for them, that it's more than a game, that they can create friendships, they can create relationships, show them where the game can take them, how it could take them 
you know, to college for some of these kids, how it can take them around the world, how yes. soccer is more than just a sport that you play, that there's a whole bigger community involved and showing them, you know, what all it could be for that kid. And once you show them the possibilities and get them hooked, then you can start working on the technical stuff and you can exactly. get into that little, the little bit, but you're not gonna be able to do that little bit unless they love the game. If they don't exactly. love it, they're not going to want to do that. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts at you four playing some sharks and minnows. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Love that game. laughs> yeah. But you know, when, uh, um, I was growing up, the thing that got me in love with the game more than anything else was, no one at the end of the day, you get off school, you go home, you do your homework. And I knew at the end of the day, I could go down the end of the street and pick up a game with a bunch of guys at the end of the street. And every once in a while, the Bobby would join in and, and we'd use yep. it. You know, and you know, the one thing I love about it, all you need is a ball. And that's it. Yep. So all you need is a ball, you know, and whoever has the ball, he's your best pal. You know, and then of course it gets too hot out there, so everybody's coat becomes a goalpost. Yep. So um, that that's where I got my love of the game, and then uh, of course I was lucky enough to be just around the corner from Anfield, and that's where I went to to go watch the game. You know, but um, if you'd only ventured across Stanley Park. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. You know, there's there's a whole dark cloud over there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that, that's what. That, that, here's the thing that's great about this game. Look, you and I have become such good friends, yeah. and mm -hmm. you know everybody would think that we'd be so diametrically opposed. Yeah, and um, it, it really is the game is so egalitarian. It's a game that unites, and um, you know, in a world where we're like struggling for connection. It's something that all of us can unite around and, um, you know, find beauty and find connection and find unity. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Totally agree. Because, you know, uh, you know, I grew up with uh, families divided, half the family yes. supporters, half of whatever and supporters. Yep. Um, and I was lucky enough to be on the, the red side of the well, family. But um, we're, we're the people's club. Y'all are the yeah. other club. So. Yeah, the winners. Well, not this year, <laughs> so. not this well, year, my friend. Yeah, we'll see. So, if anybody wanted to go and watch Bellman play, how would they do that? When, well, when, I mean, when, literally, literally, if you want to come watch Bellman play, you can walk up and get a ticket. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I hope to be some year where you need to be buying tickets ahead of time. And um, you know that that's our aim, but uh, you know we there's there's plenty of seating, and um, you know our schedule's out there. Like I said, we're we're not going to begin playing until I think February now. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, bundle yeah, proper up football weather. Yeah, proper. Yeah. So and Casey, how about um, you? Bo, when when are they going to start playing? So they are actually playing right now. Um, I know that they have very limited seating and you have to be on the pass list in order to get in because of COVID protocols. But right now they were 13th in the country last I saw. They just played against Virginia Tech the, on Sunday, I think in 1-1-0. So they are doing very, very well. Right. Yeah. So like I said, it's just a hotbed of soccer right here on our doorstep. And all we're going to do is just walk out the door and go find it. Yeah. And you know, something that I've always hoped and like, you know, now, now that we've moved to D one and, you know, we're probably going to be playing U of L regularly. I mean, that really needs to become something that this city unites around. And, yeah. you know, we, we need to have some shield, some trophy, some bourbon, barrel, something. You know, it's that it's, it's the, the local derby. It's the local yeah, derby. Exactly, exactly. And I, I hope it becomes every bit as good as the Merseyside Derby. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure we can make that happen. Well, let's do it. I, I'm going yeah, to rely it. on you to help me, my friend. Yep, we can do it. How about you, Casey? 
You get oh, a I, mean, I went to Bellarmine for my um, graduate degree. So I am a, an alumnus of both schools. Oh, wow. Yes. So which, which side are you going to come down on? I, well, I have to go for U of L because I mean, I played, she played there. She, it's my heart. I love I will Bellarmine, give that to her. She can, <laughs> she can root for us the other games. <laughs> Rightfully so. You could be for U of L, but the rest of the time you can be for us. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, hey, guys, listen, it's been great talking to you tonight. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And I'm sure we're going to talk again at some point yes. um, down the line and tell your coach at uh, Bellarmine that, uh, you know, we expect him on sometime soon. And yes. we'd love to chat with him too. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work it out for you, my friend. Okay, we can make it happen. And Casey, tell your dad that he's going to be our, um, our, our referee um, pundit right here. <laughs> he would love that, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because he needs to teach the referees at uh, the NWSL how to uh, to referee game and, and the USL for that matter. Right. You know, making sure that we get the right calls. Uh, we didn't have a good one uh, Saturday night, did we? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Oh, God, he was uh, he was that match. Yeah, yeah, and uh, VAR let him down too. Yeah. Var <laughs> <laughs> ten. Well, thank you guys and Casey. Thank you. Enjoy your dinner and Mike. Thank you very yep. much. Thank and you. Yourself well, Take okay. Thank All you right, so be much. well. Take care. Good night, guys. Thank you very Good much. Night. Bye -bye. Good night.